0: he gets really really excited when he comes across my little film canister um, full of uh, mixed herbs I think I must have had the only port guard who hadn't got a sense of smell of course he thought this was dope wasn't he so he just went absolutely ape and he was just so excited but eventually one of the officers came down and uh, took a pinch of this stuff and yeah this guy he, he, he just looked as if he wished there was a hole that he could disappear down into and you know for the next mile or so of me riding I didn't even think about um, my back. I just thought about how lucky I was that um, um, the officer had come because it could have got very, very screwy.
1: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun.
2: Episode 149, motorcycle traveler and author Sam Manicom is on the show. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Adventure Sports Podcast. We just wanted to remind you all that you need to save the date, uh, April 22nd. It's a Friday. Save that on your calendars. Because in Colorado, we're going to be having a meetup. And Pete Schuster, who was our first guest on the Adventure Sports Podcast, he is going to be speaking about preparing and hiking the Continental Divide Trail. But what we're also planning on doing is live streaming Pete's talk and the question and answer period Uh, on Facebook or Twitter, either one, so you too can watch in no matter where you are in the world at that time. You can also be involved in the question and answer period. So keep April 22nd on your calendars and stay tuned for more info. And to all you motorcycle riders out there, there's a new 50-state lane-splitting petition on WhiteHouse.gov now. It needs 100,000 signatures by April 12th. So I'm going to put a link up on our website at adventuresportspodcast.com. Go click that link and it'll take you less than 60 seconds to sign it. As many of you are aware, lane splitting is a controversial issue, but it really does help alleviate traffic congestion by letting more vehicles filter up to the front in heavy pinch points, and it really does help in the safety of the motorcyclists so they're not uh, trapped in between two vehicles in stop-and-go traffic. So please do us a favor and get out there and sign that petition. How many of you have dreamed of throwing caution to the wind and setting off on a year-long adventure, be it backpacking, sailing, or maybe traveling by car or motorcycle? My guest today, Sam Manicom, did just that, and he did it on my favorite mode of transportation, the motorcycle. Sam has managed to expand this one-year adventure into eight years now, and he's still going strong. He's here today to describe experiences over all of these years. Sam, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, that's great to be with you. Thank you.
2: Good to have you. I've uh, I've heard you on some other episodes, and I've read about you. I have yet to uh, to get your books, and I, I feel guilty because I haven't. You have uh, you have some great books out there, and I want to talk about them later in the the interview. That's great. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So you're an adventure motorcyclist. Now, (laughs) my understanding is you got into motorcycling late, but you've been traveling since you were a little kid. Let's start off with who Sam Manicom is. And I understand you were even born over in the Congo.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, My parents were teachers in Africa for 20 odd years. And so I was born there. And um, I guess my itchy feet started from there. Um, age 10, my parents moved back to the UK. And um, for the first few years at school, I was known as Jungle Boy, but it wasn't a surprise because I was, I was more used to going bare feet than I was wearing shoes and um, a window, an English winter coat. Um, but um, I suppose, it, yeah, it was that um, more than anything that started me with the itchy feet. And I guess... That the next stage uh, was when I was age 16. I'd been doing um, you know, Saturday jobs and um, paper delivery rounds and that sort of thing and had saved enough money to buy my first brand new bicycle. Before that, it had been a case of cobbling together bikes from bits that I'd managed to salvage. So there I was. I had this wonderful um, navy blue brand new bicycle in front of me. And I was looking at it one day and thinking, I've got to do something with this. What should I do? And then I thought, I'll ride it to, to Holland. So I, I was living in the the south of the UK at the, the time, and the school holidays were coming. So I um, I borrowed a page out of my school atlas and uh, told my parents I was riding to Amsterdam. Well, you can imagine the, the raised eyebrows on their faces, but um, they were very cool parents. And um, off I set, and I got lost because the scale of the map was just terrible. And I kept on getting lost, but all the time I was slowly going in the right direction. And when I made it to Amsterdam... Um, I was sitting by the side of one of the canals right near the railway station, and I was thinking, "Do you know you 're not supposed to have done that? but if you can do this, perhaps you can do anything if you really put your mind to it and um so yeah that was that was the start of of um, proper travels and since then i 've cycled and hitched and sailed and hiked and backpacked and of of course now uh, traveling by motorcycle and that came about because of the it 's such a freedom thing, but also it was um, giving me a new set of challenges and um, yeah I guess th- I, I, everything that I like about travel it comes because of those challenges you 're just finding yourself. All the time and every new thing that you um, you come across. Now, often I had no money while I was traveling. Um, I arrived in the Greek islands one time with a 10 US dollar bill in my pocket. And um, on the second day there I lost it. And that was all the money I had in the world. But I got myself a job. And during the summer season, working three jobs, I saved enough money to fly to Australia. And so, you know, it's 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 amazing what you can do if you put your heart and mind to it. Um, I guess, uh, I'm a traveler first and, um, I'm a motorcyclist second. And, um, it's that way around because I, I just love the exploring and the finding out the new things. And the motorcycle is such a fantastic tool for being able to do that. And, um, yeah, I don't ride often without a crash helmet, but there is nothing like the feeling of wind in your hair, is there? <laughs> That's true. Um, so what next? Well, like, um, after, the, the eight year trip and um, yeah you're so right I only planned to be away for a year but by the time I'd got down to the bottom of Africa I, t- I just thought wow what an amazing way this is to travel there's no good reason to go home so just kept on going and um I wrote a few magazine articles during the the second four years of the trip, and uh, when I got back to the UK, the editor of the magazine um, got in touch with me and said, "Sam, we're getting letters and emails from readers saying they like your articles and they want to know when your book's coming out." Well, my thoughts were, "Well, what book? Uh, I'd never gone travelling with the intention of writing a book, and I got a really bad grade in, in English at school, so the, the thought of writing a book was the furthest thing from my mind." But Again, it's, it's like a journey. If you don't try it, then you don't find out whether you can. And, um, people like my first book into Africa and, uh, the other books uh, slowly came out and I now bounce around, um, doing, um, presentations at events and basically sharing the fun of the road because, um, if I can do it, well, most people could. Um, you don't have to be anybody special. I think that's one of the most important things. But you do need to have the freedom and the determination uh, to be able to set off on a, on a longer trip.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the big question is, you know, how do you support yourself? I mean, that's a, a gating issue for most people. Um, you know, for one to do something like this, they need to leave a job or figure out how to support themselves on the road. So you not being an author uh, from the get-go, how did you manage making enough money to live this lifestyle
0: I'd been working like stink in my last job and um, six days a week sometimes half a day on a Sunday as well and um, really long hours and I was just saving every penny I had and um, then I sold everything I'd got my house my car furniture clothes because I'd I'd only been riding a bike um, for three months the day that I got to the edge of the Sahara Desert and with the knowledge of, of what a novice I was um, I thought, you know, you could get halfway down Africa and you could hate what you're doing. You could think that this motorcycle overlanding lark is just not for you. Well, after six months of having sold everything, that's okay. I've got plenty of money. I can go back and I can start all over again um, and that'll be fine. But if I get halfway down and I'm having an absolute ball and I'm trying to do it on my savings and my savings are running out, wow, wouldn't that be just the biggest kick in the teeth? So I thought, come on, just just go for it. And, um, that really helped. And by living frugally along the way, you know, wild camping, um, bargaining for my food in the markets, sometimes exchanging, um, a few hours work for somewhere to sleep and a meal, and, um, just doing typical backpackery type jobs along the way. Um, I, I just had a ball and you, it's amazing how cheap you can travel if you want to.
2: So. People will, will listen to this and, and think, yes, he's right. I want to do that. Um, it's, a, it's a hard trigger to pull. What words of encouragement would you have for, for those thinking maybe they'd like to do something like this?
0: I think if, if you can get yourself in a position where you don't owe anybody any money, where you've got no responsibilities, and you can get the money together to do something, um, then just do it. Go. Um you may hate it, but actually after the first six weeks of being on the road, I bet you've got a huge smile on your face and you're thinking, Wow, why have I never done this before?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's never too late. You know, you get uh you get out there and realize that you should have done it years ago, you know, yeah. that it wasn't nearly as, as complicated, I guess.
0: But, I mean, the reality is for a lot of people, it's just not possible. Um, they can't get their money together. They have got debts. They have got responsibilities. And um, that's reality of life. But my advice is just don't forget your dreams because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring you. And, you know, I, I've got friends who are out on the on the road traveling in their late 60s and 70s. And, yeah, okay, you know, they don't bounce quite so well when they fall off their bikes. But, um, they they say to me things like yeah but you know with a lifetime of experience I see so much more and traveling more gently that's just wonderful because you you see so much
2: yeah that's a really good point actually you know those of us with with children obviously children need to be raised and educated and paid mm. for and we have to have jobs to do that but you know I, I like that point of view that traveling in your in your later years uh, allows you a completely different perspective. Uh, when you're out there, you know, then you may have had when you were 20, 25 years old.
0: You can see the logic, can't you? It's, it just sits, doesn't it? But I, I the, you know, the other thing is for people who've got responsibilities, there's nothing to stop somebody thinking about what do I really want to do? I want to do something that's going to be completely different, that's going to scratch my itch, but I've only got two weeks. What can I do? You know, there are places in the world that you can go where you can do something completely different for two weeks. So you've scratched your itch, you've kept your dream alive, you go back home and you carry on with your responsibilities. But back in the, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, that was really cool. What could I do next time?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So let's touch on safety a little bit. Obviously, I think that's a, a big word when it comes to this kind of travel, traveling around the world, over, overseas uh, for lengths of time. Um, how do you, you view safety when you're out there?
0: It pretty much comes down to common sense and treating the fact that you're in a place where you're the stranger, treating that with respect means that you can cut down the risk factor, the danger quite quite dramatically. A common sense, yeah, you do your research, don't you? If you know somewhere is going to be, without doubt, significantly dangerous, then why go there unless you're an adrenaline junkie? Um there are sometimes on my trips where I've had no choice really because it's I've been faced with riding somewhere where things are possibly dangerous um, versus putting my bike on a on my bike on a plane and flying, and I've chosen to ride, and because I do things like I always ask the people coming towards me. So what's it like? How's it in front? Um, people know those people are the. The people got the freshest of news. And if there's something going pear shaped in front of you, then they'll tell you. Of course, they will. So you go around. Um, you don't have to go over.
2: Do you find situations where people hype it up too much? You know, people are coming in the other direction. We hear time and time again people are saying, Oh, don't go there. You know, they're, they're willing to rob <laughs> you and kill you. And then you press on anyway and you're thinking, What were these people talking about?
0: All All the time. <laughs> all the time. And I don't think it's done with malice. I think it's done because um, people are quite often still buzzing on adrenaline when they've come through a potentially risky situation. Um, all of us, when we're traveling, are being challenged. And those challenges can come from um, the risky situations. And if we've learned something as we've gone through something that's uh, a bit dodgy, then we want to make sure that the next person has as much good information as possible. And sometimes we all get a little bit carried away.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rossignol, Solomon Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment including the latest skis, boots, splitboards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events.
2: Hey folks, be sure to swing by 180tac.com to check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. These lightweight compact multi-fuel stoves are made in the USA and are designed to be fail-proof on your adventure. These stoves offer the flexibility to cook your meal using twigs and sticks found around you or various other fuels like gel fuel, alcohol, charcoal, or even use them as a windbreak and stable cooking surface for remote bottle gas stoves. The ingenious locking tab and slot design ensures your stove is very solid and stable without the use of hinges, rivets, or fasteners that can fail you in the field. Visit 180 TACK.com to find your next camp stove. So you started motorcycling uh, later in life, but you've covered a lot of ground, over 200,000 miles, 55 countries. Uh, When you were doing that, what was an amazing story or two that came out of that experience?
0: An amazing story. Gosh, how many hours have we got? Um, I I think, you know, one of the beauties about doing a a long trip is that, and on a motorcycle, is that you can wake up every morning... And you can think to yourself, what shall I do today? Not what does my bus or train ticket tell me I have to do? And the fact that once you get away from the rush of trying to do things on time, which of course we've all got to do in real life world, then you have the opportunity to take it easy and to really observe what's going on around you. You've got the time to stop and um, smile with somebody who's a complete stranger. And it's, 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 it's those moments that bring real joy out of a journey. It's the connection with other people. And that comes by learning to take the time to smell the roses. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you you do a lot of your traveling alone when you are out there on the bike? I understand that you're not on the road now, but um, I think you've had a mix between riding alone and riding with a partner. Is that right?
0: Most of my journeys I've done on my own. The first four years of the eight years I, I did on my own, except for where I bumped into other people and rode with them for a while. Um, but the second four years of the trip, I was riding with uh, a German lass, and uh, we met in New Zealand. And she was riding a, a bicycle through New Zealand for six months. And I reckoned anybody nuts enough to ride a bicycle up and down all of New Zealand's mountains was probably daft enough to, to tolerate me. And uh, cutting a long story short, um, yeah, we spent four years traveling together and uh, we're still now. She's absolutely brilliant. Uh, she's great fun to travel with and she's just got one of these really inquiring minds um, that that helps you to stop and smell the roses. And I think the beauty of traveling with somebody else is that um, we get involved with things that she has the passion for, but I don't necessarily. So she's introducing me to new worlds. And the other thing is do you know those moments where, for example, you might be standing looking out at an absolutely awe inspiring, phenomenal view? And there's something very special to be able to stand or sit there and enjoy this view with somebody that you care about. Um, so yeah, traveling with somebody else, uh, with Birgit, um, has just been brilliant.
2: Yeah, I absolutely get that. You know, it's I like my solitude time out on the motorcycle but it was actually just this past weekend when I, I finally got to a chance to ride with my riding buddy we haven't been out in a, in a while together and it's a it is a completely different experience when you're out there sharing and just even when you're just riding you know on the road uh, with another person there's a mm. uh, there's a camaraderie that you feel while you're out there and it is a completely different experience
0: uh, it's a it's a super sensation and you know sometimes when you're traveling on your own People think that you get lonely. Well, I mean, I never do because I like people. So there's always somebody to talk to. But actually, there's something really nice about being with somebody that you don't have to explain who you are.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So speaking of people, I love people stories from from those who have been around the world and, and- and experienced all uh, facets of society. Do you have a good story about someone you met in your travels that just really left uh, a lasting impression
0: on you? Mm, Yeah. Thai prostitute saved my life. (laughs) (laughs) Do tell. (laughs) Um, I was uh, traveling through Thailand and, um, I was, um, I, I just stopped in one of the little beach resorts. It was one of these places with, um, bamboo cabins on stilts with palm fronds for roofs and, um, planned to stay there for a few days. And, uh, there was a drop dead gorgeous girl in the cabin next door to me. And of course we got talking. And, um, it turned out that she was a prostitute and she'd only been doing it for a little while. And um, as we sat, we got to, to talking some more, it turned out that she came from a very poor uh, hill family and her parents had um, basically spent all of their savings on getting her through school and she'd uh, been top of the class um, and her teachers had said, you know, if you go to university, you'll have uh, um, a magnificent life in front of you. And um, she really, really wanted to repay her parents for all of the hard slogging that they'd done to get her through school and the fact that they left themselves broke. But hey, where's a girl like that going to get money from? Well, she worked out that the only way that she was going to get it was by becoming a prostitute for a few years and a prostitute's foreign tourists. And I was just blown away by the determination of this lass. But then it turned out as we started talking some more that she didn't know about AIDS and she knew about condoms and not getting pregnant and things like that, but she didn't realize about STDs and that sort of stuff. So, of course, we talked an awful lot about those things. Anyway, um, a couple of days later, I'd managed to to suddenly start feeling really ill and I could feel some sort of bug coming on. And uh, so I'd retreated to my cabin armed with... Bottles and bottles of uh, water and lemonade and packets of biscuits and that sort of thing. And um, within a day and a half, I was so poorly, I could not even get out of bed. Um, another day had gone by, I drank all of my liquids and um, I, I was so dehydrated, I wasn't even sweating anymore. And, um, Kulap saw my bike still outside my cabin and hadn't seen me. And she came and broke the door down and she saw me in the state that I was in. And she was the only person out of all of the other people that I talked to that did this. And, um, she realized what a dire state I was in and, um, nursed me back to help health. So yeah, I owe my life to a Thai prostitute. She's really cool. And, <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm so sorry that I lost touch with her. I don't know if she made it to university, but I bet she's an awesome woman if she did.
2: Yeah, I sure hope she uh she hung up the the hung up that occupation and and went to university mm. after all. That's great. Yep. So adventure means different things to different people. Um but I think we can all agree adventure is something that takes you out of your comfort zone. Mm. What about a story on one of these trips that really took you out of your your comfort zone, really made you nervous or or very uncomfortable uh until you got through it?
0: Um, Well, the first year in Africa, I was shot at twice, arrested three times, thrown in jail, had a 17 bone fracture accident crossing the desert in Namibia and various other mishaps. So there were a few of those times there. But I think there was one particular time where things went particularly badly wrong. And um, that was as I was leaving Australia. And um, this situation ended up with me being told by the doctors that I'd never ride a bike again and um and the story behind this is that you know i was working my way through australia fruit picking and that sort of stuff and uh my last job was working with a film crew in darwin which was just an awesome job to do it was a a whole world that i never expected i'd find myself in and that actually by the way is part of the fun of working while you're traveling is all of the different things that you end up doing that you never would do at home Um, so you learn shed loads anyway um, I was in a storeroom one day and I was picking up, um, some he- heavy camera kit and somebody came flying through the door behind me. The door hit me and the backside sent me sprawling on onto the ground. And as I hit the deck, I just heard a sort of noise and instant agony. Um, and that just threw all of my plans into disarray and I couldn't ride my bike. And, but then a whole series of things turned up which actually made this situation work for me. And one was that the shipping company that I was supposed to be using out of Darwin – to um, Indonesia said that they would um, arrange for my bike to be stored in a duty free area so that um, I wouldn't be breaching any of the um, Australian customs um, regulations and then uh, when I was fit enough they'd ship it on for me and they weren't going to charge me anything because they'd realised that this wasn't something that I was asking for help with uh, because I'd been stupid or careless, it was something that just can happen. I'll end up spending the next three months um, using buses and so on, uh, buses and boats, island hopping through um, the Indonesian archipelago. And what an awesome experience that was. Um, Yeah, it's got its its rough times as well as its good times. But I walked a lot and I swam a lot from just idyllic tropical beaches until um, I got back to, I got round to Singapore. So I'd done a big loop and the shipping company had sent the bikes there to me. And, um, I went to the shipping, uh, to the port and all the time I had this voice in the back of my mind from the doctor saying, you'll, you'll never ride again. And I kept on thinking, yeah, but I've got to try. I've got to try. If I don't try, then I won't find out. And, uh, I did all of the paperwork and went and retrieved my bike, which had been, which had survived all of the shipping. And then something very funny happened, which just put all of my fear about being on, back on the bike pretty much out of the window. Um, and the first first swing of my leg over the bike was very nerve wracking because of course I'd lost all of the muscle tone that you get from regularly swinging your leg over the back of a motorcycle, so that was quite um, a, a weird sensation. But I rode the first hundred yards or so, and it felt okay. You know, I I, I realized that I was going to have to be very careful and build that muscle tone back up again, but um, it was fine. I got to the last gate at the port. And there was this really bolshy guard there, and he flagged me down, and there was no mistaking what he wanted, straight over to the side of the road. So I did what I usually did and pulled my helmet and my gloves off and turned the engine off and waited for him to come, um, and uh, he made me unpack my luggage all over the pavement and you can imagine that this is the main entrance into one of the ports so there are literally hundreds of people streaming backwards and forwards and big trucks and taxis and buses and everybody else so there's me laying my worldly belongings out along the pavement and uh, he gets really really excited when he comes across my little film canister yeah remember those um (laughs) full of uh, mixed herbs and um i I like cooking while i 'm travelling it's one of the ways that you keep the budget down and um mixed herbs are a vital ingredient. And um I think I must have had the only port guard who hadn't got a sense of smell. Of course, he thought this was dope, wasn't he? So he just went absolutely ape and he was just so excited. But eventually one of the officers came down and uh, took a pinch of this stuff. And yeah, this guy, he, he he just looked as if he wished there was a hole that he could disappear down into. And, you know, for the next mile or so of me riding, I didn't even think about... um my back, I just thought about how lucky I was that um, um, the officer had come because it could have got very, very screwy.
2: (laughs) So maybe a tip is don't carry oregano and powdered sugar with you. Yeah, quite exactly. (laughs) Yes. That's funny. Well, let's talk about tips and tricks then. Um, There are some things that we should and should not do. On the road, what are some things that, after all these miles and and years, you've in your experience, uh, that you might tell others who who are just starting out to to do or to avoid?
0: Mm, okay, the first one is plan, but don't overplan. A lot of people spend so much time and money planning to do something, and they never get the feeling that they're ready because there's always something else that needs to be learned, some other bit of kits that probably would be a good bit of kit to have and they quite often never go. Um, Sometimes it makes more sense to look at the basics that you really need um, and the basics are, well, you need to be able to sleep well and you need to be able to eat well. Um, If you can do those two things, then you have a chance of travelling with a smile. You need to be on a motorcycle which you like riding. That's the key and the other key with that is that it has to be in good working order so that when you're setting off you're not already setting off with a bag of bones that can shake itself to bits the first time you hits a, a rough road <laughs> um so plan but don't overplan you don't it's it's surprising what you don't need out there and i guess my next tip is don't fear the unknown but respect it i mentioned this earlier on and you know when you're in the unknown um Whatever your skills are, it's always going to be you that's the stranger. But that's part of the fun. And I think if you go into situations knowing that you're the stranger and that you're not um, fearing something but you're treating it with respect, you can turn fear into um, something that's actually quite positive and gives you an inquiring mind and gives you the chance to draw on um, the abilities and the background knowledge and so on that you do have. One of my favorite sayings is, um, F- fear is that dark room where negatives are developed. Yeah. It's such a good one as well. That isn't is it? a good state. Absolutely. Um, I think next tip is as, as far as travel goes, a handshake and a smile go a really long way in just about any culture. Um, it's, it's that, it's that respect thing again. And, most cultures around the world now um handshake um some don't smile that's their culture but actually in most cultures that handshake and a smile can go such a long way to showing that you're friendly and that you're respecting the person that you're treating and that can smooth away a lot of very big potential problems um i think the next one is uh travel light and travel slow we talked earlier on about traveling slow, but travel light, um, again, there's so little kits that you actually really do need when you're traveling. Um, and if you take the time to smell the roses, then you recognize when things are going wrong. But I'm a firm believer that when things are going wrong, actually, it's not a disaster. It's just the beginning of an unexpected adventure. And they really can be some of the best adventures.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, it reminds me of a, a, a statement that someone made recently, Jim from Adventure Rider Radiohead, Jeff Thomas on. And mm-hmm. his statement that really hit me was something like, when you travel quickly, you pass through people's lives. And when you travel slowly, people pass through your life. And mm. that, that really struck me because it's so true. You know, it's, it's about being out there and experiencing people as much as it is enjoying the ride itself. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. Have you read, um, Jeff's book, Ashes to Boonville?
2: I haven't yet, no. I'm oh, sorry.
0: if you get a chance to do, um, it's, it's a book that I think is, um, underrated it should have many many more amazon reviews five star amazon reviews than it's got when you read it you'll see why i'm saying that
2: oh very cool well it's going to go on my list along with your books and uh Thank that's you. actually a, a good segue because i want to talk about your books you didn't start out to be an author you started out just to be a traveler and mm-hmm. as you alluded to earlier you you mentioned that people were were writing in commenting on your Your paper and magazine articles saying, when's the book coming out? And, you know, here we are four books later uh, and you're still going. So do me a favor and summarize the the books that you have. You know, what is each one about? And uh, tell our our audience uh, about them and, and where they can find them.
0: Okay. The first book is called Into Africa, and this book takes you down the east side of Africa. So Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and on down to uh, southern Africa. It uh, takes a year, and it covers the learning curve, but also the... um shows me that actually I'm a complete disaster magnet. If something's going to go wrong then it's inevitably going to go wrong somewhere near me (laughs) or with me right in the middle of it. But it teaches me a lot of really good lessons and that is where I first came across that rule about um, things going wrong actually being unexpected adventures. And out of bad inevitably comes something really good and really interesting. So that's um, and you know Africa is just an awesome continent to ride on a motorcycle the fact that you can stop anywhere is is fantastic the fact that you can take advantage of all of those side turnings because you've got the freedom to do it and africa's about 7000 miles long and into africa takes you um, on a ride of 22000 miles because the bike gave me the freedom to explore all of those things the scenery is absolutely stunning and there are an awful lot of um really bad reports about Africa and Africans. Well, I think that my book, well, I hope that my book gives people a very level, honest um view of the continent. Things aren't always rose-colored, but there's an awful lot in there that's just fantastic. Diamonds of life. Um It was that year that actually made me decide not to go home. And my second book is called Under Asian Skies. And that takes you through Australia and New Zealand and then up into Southeast Asia, India, Nepal, Pakistan, Iran, Turkey and through Eastern Europe. And um, by the time I got back to Europe, I was thinking, stuff it, I'm not going home. This overlanding lock is just fantastic. And um, during that time, uh, Birgit and I had ridden together for uh, three months in um, Nepal and India and we would got on so well. Um, I would said to her, look, I'm going to South America. Would you like to come with me? And she said, well, yeah, on two conditions. I want to go to Africa first, and I want to have my own bike. Africa first. Yeah, okay, why not? I don't mind going back to Africa. That's a nice nice surprise. And your own bike? Well, yeah, okay, um, go for it. But if you're going to have your own bike, then you've got to know how to service and maintain it. And um, with that in mind, she bought herself a a beat-up old 1971 BMW, um, and she stripped it to, to pieces um, with two different mechanics and put it back together again and uh, she 's actually done sight like, better at balancing Carburetors than I am.
2: Uh, <laughs> I could take a few lessons from
0: her then <laughs> oh she 's brilliant she 's got a real good feel for it but t- so the first first part of first um, third of um, my third book, uh, Distant Suns, takes you through from Mombasa in Kenya down to Cape Town. And then we travel across from southern Africa to South America in the nuttiest possible way that two-budget motorcyclists could ever do. But I'm not going to spoil the story by saying what happened. And uh, then it takes the reader on down to the southernmost tip of South America and on up through South America and through Central America. And um, uh, we were just simply blown away by the scenery in South America. And um, the customs and cultures, they really do change at every single border that you come to. And um, that's quite fascinating. It's one of the things that I love about travel, the way just this imaginary line across the earth um, can make so much difference to how people dress and the food they eat and the, the houses that they live in and so on. Um, So that's the third book, Distant Suns. And the fourth book uh, is called Tortillas to Totems. And it takes the reader from Mexico up through the United States and um, up into Canada and towards Alaska. And um this book never nearly didn 't get written because i wasn 't sure if anybody would be interested in reading about um, north america but i 'm absolutely gobsmacked um, at at um, at the feedback that I get from this book i 'm very very honest by the way because I went into the states with um preconceived ideas about how it was going to be, and some of them weren 't particularly good. Uh, But the countryside and the people blew those preconceived ideas out of the water and it's one of the reasons that I keep going back to the States. Um, I've been made so welcome um, in North America and uh, yeah, love it.
2: Well, good. I'm happy to hear that. I think uh, I think we do, unfortunately, uh, government actions, and as with all countries, you know, can can put a bad taste in, in people's mouth if they haven't been in a, a specific country. But I'm glad you visited and, and uh, saw that things are are a little bit different than you expected.
0: Oh, absolutely. And you know, it made me analyze very carefully um, what I was seeing around me and taken for granted in the UK when I got back, and there were an awful lot of things here that I found that um, I didn't like. Um, but actually, once you realise what's real and and what's just in your mind, then you can have a much much firmer grasp and value for what there is.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that summarises uh, everybody's expectation about going to travel the world, you know, going to other countries is we all always have these preconceived notions of, of what it's going to be like because of what we've seen in the media or heard, you know, and hearsay Mm -hmm. and time and time and time again, you, you talk to people like you who have gone and experienced it and they come back and they say, look, don't believe any of that. Don't even listen to it. Approaching your trip, just go experience. Obviously you have to, you know, factor in a little bit of safety, like, like you spoke about, but You'll go experience it and make up your own mind, and it's probably going to be much different from, from what you expected.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And as you say, so many um, overlanders say that. My belief is that there is no smoke without fire, um, but that fire may be the size of a match head. So the big cloud of smoke that's been created and hovers over it, well, it's just misleading. Um, Let's go and see what the fire actually is. And that's one of the beauties of traveling is that you can find out things for yourself. Um, And yeah, you're constantly surprised. It gives you a much better feeling about this magic world of ours that we live in. Uh, mainstream media spends too much time concentrating on doom gloom and disaster and they do so in a very unbalanced way i'm quite cynical about the media as you're probably already guessing some parts of it are excellent and they really try hard but other parts of it they're just trying to sell newspapers and they know by scaring people they'll sell newspapers and i think that's really sad because this world of ours is just brilliant
1: Hey, River Rats, you've heard nature photographer John Fielder discuss Colorado's free-flowing Yamper River on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Now get the 150 scenic and historic pictures behind the words. John's latest coffee table book guides you from its headwaters in the Flat Tops wilderness to the confluence with the Green River in Dinosaur National Monument. Visit johnfielder.com for more about the book or get your copy now at amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or your favorite independent Colorado book retailer. Once again, that book is Colorado's Yampa River, free-flowing and wild from the flat tops to the green.
2: Where can we find your books? Like I said, I, I have got your four books in my, my reading to-do list, and I will likely blow through them very quickly. I tend to do that with motorcycle adventure books, uh, like anybody that who's an enthusiast. Where's the best place to go learn more about you as well as get your books?
0: Well, my website is uh, www.sam-manicom.com, so that's um, M-A-N-I-C-O-M. Um but so there's lots of background information there and um excerpts from the books so people can have a look and see whether they like my writing style or if it's complete rubbish then they'll think, right, okay, I'll spend my money on something else. Uh but the the, the, the simplest and the cheapest way to get my books is from uh a company called the Book Depository. And they do free worldwide delivery, which is awesome because that makes them incredibly cheap to get hold of. So that's the book depository.
2: Oh, very cool. We'll definitely get those in the show notes and uh, and linked up so people can find them easily. And I wanted to point out, there's a lot of information on your site. Um, There's other video interviews. Um, You also do a lot of uh, speaking engagements, uh, many in the UK. But I know you're also going to be over in the the States uh, here pretty soon. What's that all about?
0: Well... (laughs) I mentioned before that I really enjoy being in the States. And although we ended up spending 18 months in the States while we were on the trip um, between Mexico and Canada and Alaska and back down again and so on, um, that wasn't enough time to even scratch the surface of, of everything there is to learn and see. So I really enjoy getting back to the States. But I'm also very conscious that the world of adventure, motorcycling, and overlanding in the United States is growing fast because more and more people are beginning to discover, actually, I could do this. And I really love being around the buzz that's, that's happening in uh, North America now with regards to that. So for me, being able to bounce around and do presentations and so on is, is just passing, you know, sharing the fun um, and encouraging people to think, well, my goodness, if an idiot like Sam can do this, then perhaps I can
2: yeah absolutely. well, you had mentioned that you'll be at the uh, Overland Expo West down in Arizona in May, mm. and uh I'm personally hoping to get down there. I haven't uh, made my plans yet, but I'm hoping to get down there and experience for the first time um but you had also mentioned it to me that if people uh find you there and mm. mention that they heard you on the adventure sports podcast that you'll give them ten percent off of the book sale is that correct
0: absolutely now it'd be a pleasure to do so um so yeah just come along and say the name and heard you on the show. And Travis said I could. And, um, and uh, yeah, no, no, we'll make that happen for sure. And the overland expo West is happening, uh, just outside Flagstaff in Arizona, um, around the 20th of May. So it's uh, it's a really good time, uh, to be there.
2: Yeah. And, and if you have um, any interest in world travel, uh, whether it be on motorcycles or, you know, in, in vehicles themselves, um, Check out the the Overland Expo information and see if you can't get down there and uh, see what that's all about and go visit Sam at the same time. Maybe he'll even sign your book for you.
0: That'd be a pleasure. I'm doing a whole bunch of classes as well and um, presentation on traveling in Vietnam and um, various other things as well. So um, yeah, come in and sit sit in on my classes. Um, Professional heckle is needed.
2: (laughs) I'll try to be there and heckle you. How's that? Thank you. (laughs) So let's get on to uh, motorcycles. You had mentioned uh, uh, your partner's motorcycle being a uh, an older BMW. What are what are you riding? And have you been riding the same bike the whole time?
0: Mm, I learned to ride on a little Kawasaki one two five KDX, uh, which I had for six weeks. It took me six weeks to pass my test, and then straight on to um, an R eighty GS BMW, which was new at the time, and. Um, I'm still riding her, and she's got 282,000 miles on her now, and she's still my only means transport. She's a class act. She's had a lot to put up with.
2: Well, that says a lot for that bike to be able to cover that many miles and under those kind of conditions that you see out there.
0: Uh, she's been brilliant. About, I guess, 5% of the time, she's been the wrong bike to have um, in very heavy mud and very soft sand. Um, but the rest of the time, she's either been brilliant, fun, or perfectly competent. And I think for a big trip, you can never have the right bike exactly 100% of the time. So I'm really happy with uh, that um, percentage.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you've chosen that bike. Um, is that, would you recommend that bike if, you know, if people can find one in, in decent shape? Uh, or, from your experiences, is there something else you would point somebody to? I mean, I know that's kind of a loaded question because you're, you're talking about different sized people depending on what they want to do, what they want to carry, men, mm. women, you know, all of that. But I think the general question is what is the quote unquote ideal bike? What is it you're trying to get out of your bike at least to, to do this kind of travel?
0: it's This is one of those sixty four million dollar questions isn 't it? and <laughs> it goes a little bit back to what I was talking about before about um do you like what you 're riding and is it in good mechanical condition because those are two of the most important things you know at a bike that 's ergonomically wrong for you, so that you 're never sitting comfortably well, why would you want to go off and do a long trip on that? A bike that 's constantly breaking down uh, unless that 's a key reason for you to to be on the trip because you want to defeat the constant challenges then well. Um, why would you Um, I think the next thing that goes to choosing your bike is what sort of trip do you want are you going to stay on the best quality asphalt you can find all of the time are you going to do purely dirt roads or are you going to do a general mix of whatever you find and those three categories will help you decide what bike you should be on Um, For a trip, Uh, last year I was um, in the states in um, in, and the southeast, and I was riding um, a Kawasaki Versys, a 650 that uh, ADV Moto magazine had loaned me, and um, I'd I'd read a, a bit about the bike, and everything I read said that this was a pretty mediocre bike. But um, with a few tweaks, well-thought-out tweaks, ADV Moto turned this bike into something that was simply awesome to ride. And I loved every minute of it, except when I dropped it on the Blue Ridge Parkway in the fog and the rain. But that's another story. Ah, <laughs> uh, I was h- heading for the deck, and my first thought was not, ouch, this is going to hurt. But no, I'm dropping their bike. But um, bless them, they were fantastic. And um, their first question to me was, "Are you okay?" Not, "What have you done to our bike?" But anyway, I've digressed. That hunt, that um, Kawasaki um, versus was. Um, thoroughly underestimated underrated bike and um yeah i was very impressed with it but um this time um when i'm over for overland uh, expo and i'm going to be doing a few other um events i'm in the process of signing up to do the 49ers event at uh, mariposa in california and i'm hoping that i'm going to be at a few um, bmw dealers as well oh, fun. um al jesse from uh jesse luggage He's lending me an F800 GS and I'm really looking forward to riding this bike. I've heard a lot of very very good things about how competent competent it is. So um yeah, I'm going to I'm going to find out for myself.
2: Yeah, I'd like to know your opinion on it. Those are uh, I think that class is my my sweet spot as far as I'm concerned. The Tiger 800 and the uh the F800 GS uh, from mm-hmm. BMW. Um they're just they're they're really good off-road bikes yet Still comfortable and and heavy enough to be uh to not be knocked around on the highways at the same time.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we'll get together and I'll let you know.
2: <laughs> Very good. I look forward to that. So let's talk about inspiration. Where do you draw inspiration from? World traveler, you're out there all the time. Something's got to inspire you to uh to do all of this and and keep a a good frame of mind about it.
0: People, always. Um, people are just full of inspiration. I think people are, are fascinating. Um, they're so full of surprises. And um, most people in this world are kind, open-hearted, genuine. And each person you meet, if you take the time to talk to them, have a fascinating story. And it's it's a real – travel is a, and enjoying people is a real lesson in not judging books by their covers. You know, you can talk to somebody who is the scruffiest, dirtiest, smelling person, and when you spend ten minutes talking with them, you find out that this person is absolutely awesome. The the story they have is quite phenomenal. And you can learn shed loads. Um so yeah, no people, always. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Now, how about a funny story to wrap up this episode with? Um, this is uh, You've been doing this for quite a while now and uh, have experienced many, many people and, and individual experiences. There's got to be one good story to uh, to give us a laugh before we sign off.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I had to really scratch my head when you said to me, I'm going to ask you this at the end of the show. <laughs> and I, I made a list of about 10 different stories that I could tell you. But actually, the one um, that I've picked – is a story that um, made me laugh um, so hard that I nearly fell off my bike, and it has to do with burgit and it's in uh, the story comes in um, Central America now it 's a real true story of gently gently and thoughtfully following your instincts um, can be as exciting as following them quickly. Well, this is a story of following them quickly and what happens. So we're at the, the Nicaragua-Honduras border, and we'd been listening to so many of those scare stories you were talking about before. Everybody was coming towards us and saying, no, nah, the the border crossing, the guards are terrible, they're going to rip you off, There's bribe your way to get through, there's no way you'll get through otherwise, etc., etc. And by this time, um, we'd been on the road for, what, six and a half years, and we'd never paid a bribe anywhere. So there was a part of me that was stubborn, a part of me that was um feeling lazy. Oh gosh, are we not really not going to finally at long last be- get away with this? We're going to be hammered into the ground. So we thought about it. Okay, so what can you do so that you're going to cut down on the risk of having to pay a bribe and all of the anger and frustration that goes with it? Well, why don't we just find a border crossing that's much quieter? Um, it's off the beaten track and maybe the officials there will be le- less hassled and less aggressive and, yeah, more like country people, a bit more open to humor interaction. So this is what we did. And um, the Nicaraguan side went absolutely smooth as anything, except, uh, as usual, we needed um, a zillion photocopies of our paperwork. You know, your, um, your health certificate, your passport, your driving license, the paperwork for your bike, and etc., etc. Loads of copies of each of these. And these were got from um, a little old lady, and this was um, her job. And she had um, a photocopy machine that lived outdoors, but in, in the archway. Of a, of a shop and she sat there with all her traditional robes on and um, that's where everybody went if they wanted photocopies to pass a vehicle through and uh, when she first told me how much it was going to cost I thought you extortionist um, but well you've got no choice there aren't any other photocopy machines so you pay your money and you walk away and I just thought well yeah good for her though you know she's found a way to corner the market and she's making a living she's not starving so yeah good for her it's part of the adventure Anyway, went across to the Honduras side, and this was the side we would, we'd we been told we were going to get real hassle. And um, the first thing we, f- we found going into the customs offices was that we needed shed loads more photocopies. But they didn't have a photocopier. So we ended up having to go back into Nicaragua to use the Nicaraguan photocopier. Um, and I was so happy I hadn't hassled this this little old lady um, the, when she tried to, to charge us as much money because she could have just said no and clapped her hands together. And that would have been it. We would have been stuffed as far as getting into Honduras is concerned. But, you know, all the scare stories, they were just completely blown out of the water. The, the customs and the immigration of, uh, officials on the Honduran, Honduran side um, were amazingly helpful, you know. We knew enough Spanish to say hello please and thank you and Birgit spoke quite a bit of Spanish so she was able to to speak with politeness. We'd shaken hands, we'd smiled, we'd been prepared and we were patient. We were crossing the border first thing in the morning so we weren't under time pressure and these guys hadn't been hassled by idiots like us all day. So they were quite amenable and one of them said okay that's it. Um, you just need one more stamp in your passports and then you're finished but uh, no more fees nothing and by that time i think we paid about um 10 us dollars for um m- motor insurance to ride through honduras and that was about it i can't remember how much it was but it was it was not a lot of money anyway we went to the last office and this was the the police office and it was like stepping into the set of a B-movie. You know, the the lights were all down. It was gloomy and um, full of filing cabinets and um, a beaten up old metal desk. And um, in the background, there were a couple of really big, muscular guys straining at their uniforms. And I swear their knuckles were dragging on the ground. They're just a couple of gorillas. The, the the guy at the desk, this weaselly sort of looking fellow with his really immaculate uniform, sort of snapped his fingers at us and said, passports. So we handed over the passports, and Burger and I looked at each other and thought, aye what's coming now? And uh, he stamped the passports with um, plenty of power in those stamps, sort of a real statement of, I'm the bigger I am, and then said, Right, that's going to cost you. There is a fee to pay. Burger, quick as a flash, picked up the passport and said, no, there isn't. We're leaving. And she, she just walked out, <laughs> leaving me with, with the, the, the police officer and his two henchmen, looking at each other with just gobsmacked expressions on our faces. Well, I managed to get my wits together a little bit quicker than they did. And I said, she's right, you know, and just left. And outside, we looked at each other, climbed on our bikes, and sort of eased on away from the border, <laughs> thinking, ah, oh, we really hope that they haven't got telephones working in this area. And by the time we sort of bu- were a few miles away, I was lucky laughing so hard because of course the adrenaline was popping I nearly fell off my bike because I was laughing so hard and Birgit and I just looked at each other and we thought wow um perhaps we shouldn't have done that but hey we got away with it
2: (laughs) that's great you're probably not gonna get away with that too many times but it makes for a great story
0: (laughs) yeah there are plenty of places where doing that wouldn't have worked um but Birgit's instincts um were just absolutely right at, at, at that moment so yeah a w- it, was, a it was funny
2: intuition right <laughs> she knew what to do at that moment in time
0: yeah she's got really good senses um i got in less trouble when i was traveling with her <laughs>
2: i'm sure that's great we're right on well sam keep on writing and keep on traveling and uh i assure you we'll keep on reading because uh we all enjoy a, a good adventure story whether it's on a motorcycle or any other mode of transportation uh or ways to to get around the world so we appreciate your time coming on the show and sharing some with us today
0: no, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for inviting. I've enjoyed talking with you and I hope we do link up at um, Expo West.
2: Yeah, I will make my, my best effort to come down there and see you for sure. Cool. All right. Terrific. Take care. Hey, before we go, Sam also asked me to remind you that his books are always available on Kindle. Into Africa and Under Asian Skies are also available as audiobooks on iTunes and Amazon. And make sure you be on the lookout for Distant Suns, as it's also due to be released as an audiobook as well. Now get out there and have some fun.